so. You show up this evening, you will no longer be confused, but you will leave with clarity of mind and sharpness of understanding. And now what you need to do is show up this evening to discover that almost none of that is true. If you have your Bibles, please open them to uh, Exodus chapter 4 and verse 21. Exodus, the fourth chapter, the 21st verse. Let me pray. Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would once more um, illuminate for us uh, this revelation that you have given by your Spirit. Father, may we handle it properly. May it, may it challenge us. May it encourage us. May it prepare us as we come to your table to celebrate this, your holy meal. And these things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. When the uh, word Lord is printed using four capital letters, the Hebrew word, as many of you know, the Hebrew word is Yahweh, the name that God uses when he speaks with Moses from the burning bush. Literally, it reads, I am. God is the great I am, which implies, at least in part, implies that he is eternally present, without beginning, without end, and that as we have celebrated this morning in worship, he is the king who sovereignly rules over all of creation, including those whom he has created in his image, you and me. Now, appropriately, uh, when translated into English, it's printed out with these four capital letters, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And likewise, most often, the word God, when printed or when we speak the word God, we are either seeing it or we're thinking of it with a capital G. Now, all of that may seem obvious to you, but just stay with me a moment. Because there are times in all of our lives, times in all of our lives, when that's not true. There are times in all of our lives when what we want is a God with a small g. There are times when what we want is that we want a God small g, who will keep us out of hell, but nah, he's, he understands, you know, our, our particular ideas and our attitudes and our behaviors. Seems to me at times what we want is a God, small g, a God who can tweak a few things to make our lives more pleasant, more comfortable. And yet, you know, he's not going to overly challenge our thoughts and our behaviors. I mean, the illustrations are many. Most of them are obvious. 
you know, Lord, make my marriage better, but don't ask me to submit to my husband and don't ask me to sacrificially love my wife, but please make my marriage better. Just just tweak a few things. Lord, Lord, God, God with a small g, God, help me to control my lust, but, but, but don't. You know, don't ask me to give up those things, uh, those entertainments, those, those people that, that I just so much enjoy. I mean, even though, okay, I, I know that they encourage me to think and do things that are not pleasing to you, but, but you understand, my God, with a small g. You know, God, God with a small g, I want you to help me I really want you to help me tweak a few things so that my life will be more pleasant and comfortable, but, but just don't, don't overly interfere with what I think or with how I behave. Now, we all know that's true. We all know that's true. That, that, that's a common experience for all of us. And of course, there is no such God. God with a small g. It doesn't exist. I mean, such gods, gods with small g's, such gods in Scripture are called idols. And okay, while we no longer bow before carved wood or, 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 or gods shaped in stone, you know full well, you know that we are still often, all of us, you and me, we're still often guilty of worshiping, or maybe we don't even really worship a whole lot, of just wanting a God, small g, keep us out of hell, not mess too much with how we live. What we want is the God of our own imagination. That's why we need to constantly focus upon the Word of God. Because the God who makes Himself known in Scripture is the great I Am. Capital L-O-R-D. By grace, through the gift of faith, we believe and we understand. At least that's what we profess. We believe and we understand that He is the way, that He is the truth, that He is the life. Not one way, not one truth, not one possible life, but the way, the truth, and the life. By grace, we, we believe and we know. So we profess that we were made by Him and we were made for Him. That He is our Creator, He is our Savior, He's our Lord, He is our King. We know that, don't we? Because if we do, knowing that He is our King then before Him we bow and then rise to serve Him. 
to serve Him confidently, eagerly, willingly, joyfully. Because all He wants for us is what is best. That's the God revealed to us in Scripture. The God revealed to us in Scripture is our King. He is our Lord. The God revealed to us in Scripture is not a tweaker. He doesn't tweak. He is the recreator. By grace, by by that grace that enables us to believe, by that same grace, He recreates us to live as His image bearers so that we confidently, eagerly, willingly, joyfully strive in the strength that He provides, strive with all our God-given strength to live lives that honor Him and therefore bless others. This Lord, this God, this King that we serve, He's the great physician who heals us by taking upon Himself the disease of our sins that we might live, that we might live lives in which we have been made perfectly and eternally well and healthy and strong. But He's more than just the great physician. He is the great surgeon who performs radical surgery. Radical surgery. He cuts out that heart that is dead to Him. And He replaces it with a heart that is on fire for Him and for the doing of His good pleasure. He's God with a capital G. He's not a tweaker. He doesn't tweak. He recreates. He is the recreator. For He is Lord. Capital L-O-R-D. That's the one who in here in, in the book of Exodus as we have seen. This is the one who calls Moses to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt and into the promised land. So as I read these verses and I think about all that we've been studying here, I ask myself, you need to ask yourselves, do I see Him? Do do I know Him? Do I know God with a capital G? Do I know The Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the one and only God, the great I Am. Now let me read for you verses 21 through 31 of Exodus chapter 4. The Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. 
Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son, and I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him, met Moses, and sought to put Moses to death. Then Zipporah, Moses' wife, Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Lord said to Aaron, go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with, with which he had sent him to speak and, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. And then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited the people of Israel, and that He had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Look at verses 21 through 24. In verses 21 through 24, the Lord tells Moses to go to Egypt, Show Pharaoh the signs with which the Lord has empowered him. And he is also to tell Pharaoh, Israel is my God's, the Lord's, my firstborn son. And if you, if you Pharaoh, will not release them, it will cost you the life of your firstborn son. Believer, those of you by grace through faith have embraced Jesus Christ as Savior, Lord, and King. Believer, who is God? He is your Father. And you are the Israel of God. You are His firstborn Son. And for your sake, the Deliverer, God the Son, the Deliverer, God the Son comes to rescue you from the dominion of darkness and lead you into His kingdom, adopting you forevermore to be His child. Jesus is an Israelite, born of the tribe of Judah. And as we've talked about here on other occasions, He is the true Israel of God. Listen to me. Jesus is the true Israel of God. If you will, He is, as Scripture describes Him, the unique firstborn Son of God who does all 
that Israel failed to do. And then as God's sinless son, he sheds his blood. As God's sinless son, he dies to pay the just penalty for your transgressions. Now, graciously, God the Holy Spirit enables you to believe and understand who Jesus is and how He has done what must be done so that you may be gifted with the status of sonship. Parents, children, friends, and others, I have many such who have sacrificed for my welfare. But nothing compares to the sacrifice of God the Son, who freely suffers the physical horror of crucifixion and the unfathomable terror of being temporarily cut off from the Father so that we might be free from sin's curse and power so that you might be His child. It is Jesus who is the unique firstborn Son of God who sheds His blood that we might be His children. Look at verses 24 through 26. In verses 24 through 26, as Moses and his family begin their journey to Egypt, (laughs) we're told in these three verses one of the strangest stories in all of Scripture. I've had, I can't tell you how many people, when I've said, anybody have any questions in regards to Scripture in general? that this is one of the passages to which people who have read their Bibles say, what in the world is this about? In these verses, God, I mean, how, how, how much does this catch us off guard? I mean, how much you're watching a movie and suddenly the plot just turns completely around? I mean, you read these verses and what do you... God threatens to kill Moses. Wow. The one he just called to go to Egypt to deliver the children of Israel out of that land of slavery. God threatens to kill Moses. Why? I mean, even the answer to the question why leaves us going, come on. I mean, why does he threaten to kill him? It is because Moses has failed to do as God commands. He has not placed upon his son the sign of the covenant relationship that exists between God and his people. He has not circumcised his firstborn son. And it's Zipporah, Moses' wife. It's Zipporah. Friends called her Zippy. It's, it's Zipporah, Moses' wife, who Zippily 
who quickly comes to the rescue. She's a Midianite. She's not an Israelite. It's Zipporah who comes to the rescue. I mean, perhaps Moses by this time with God threatening his life, maybe he's too sick to do what must be done. We're not told. But we are told that it is Zipporah who circumcises the boy. We got that part. And then takes that bloody foreskin and touches it to Moses. Now, I don't know how she knew to do that. I mean, perhaps Moses had told her about the importance of circumcision, even though he hadn't circumcised his boy. And perhaps that was because circumcision was culturally unacceptable in Midian. We don't know. We're not told. But whatever the reason, clearly Moses had not taken seriously the importance of doing as God commands and had not recognized the seriousness of this moment. Now, because of Zipporah's actions, look at that, because of Zipporah's actions, she cuts off the foreskin, she touched Moses' with that foreskin, because of Zipporah's actions, God spares Moses' life. What's going on here? Moses... Moses needs to learn anew why he himself, for example, was circumcised. Why was that? Circumcision in the Old Testament is a bloody sacrifice. Moses is a sinner. It is only by the shedding of blood that sin can be forgiven. If Moses is to serve as God's chosen deliverer, the one who is going to lead the people of God, Moses has to understand. He has to learn anew. The basis upon which God dares to have a covenant relationship with him and with those people that he is going to deliver. What is a covenant? It is a bond in blood that is sovereignly administered. He has to understand anew that foundational truth upon which any people have a relationship with the living God. Zipporah, look at it again, Zipporah circumcises their son, touches Moses with the foreskin, with the blood, which means what? And then Moses' life is spared. Now you put all those pieces together and what have you, what have you got? It's the blood of a substitute. Moses' firstborn son that saves Moses' life. Look at verses 25 and 26. Zipporah speaks about a bridegroom of blood. A bridegroom of blood. 
Who can serve as a bridegroom of blood? Many of you know that biblically, believers, both Old Testament and New Testament, we are the bride of Christ. The triune God is always, always, always the bridegroom. Believer, God, the Son, Jesus, is your bloody bridegroom. It is His blood, the blood of the Son that saves you. It is the blood of the Son that is shed in your place. It is the Son of the blood that purchases you as His bride. And now take this just a step further. Purchase you as His bride. But now before we get too arrogant, humbly remember, biblically, we're also represented by Hosea's wife. who was a whore. What do you do when you confess and repent and come in faith to Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? You confess and repent that in the past you have, and even after you believe, you will confess and repent that at times you still go a-whoring after other gods. Gods with a small g. Gods with a small g who will permit or at least be understanding or or just overlook those thoughts and attitudes and behaviors that you, you know are not pleasing to the king. But my goodness, we are who we are. (laughs) Yeah. We're Hosea's wife. But because... Follow this. Because the Son, God's unique firstborn Son, because God the Son, Jesus, serves as your bloody bridegroom, you are delivered from your whoredom. Your life is spared. And you are now declared to be the bride of Christ. Just as Hosea bought back his adulterous wife and brought her back into their home by grace through faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You now stand as his bride. And as his bride, what does the scripture picture? In Revelation, it's pictured this way As the bride, you are dressed in pure white linen. Pure, white, spotless linen. Now, do you remember? What does the pure white linen represent? It represents the righteous deeds that you have done. 
because by His strength, because of the gift of faith, because of His grace, for His glory, for your eternal good, for the temporal and eternal good of others, you now do those things that are right and pleasing in His sight. And when you don't, you go to Him. You confess. You repent. And He washes clean the robes in which you are dressed. Then look at verses 27 through 31. Moses meets up with Aaron. Together they go to Egypt. They meet with the elders of Israel. They report to them all that God told Moses. And then they show the elders of Israel the signs with which God had supernaturally endowed Moses. And the response, their response is to understand and to believe, at least at this moment, to understand and believe what? That God had visited and that God is with us. And that God knows and cares about their afflictions. And then they see and they understand the significance of the signs given by the Lord to Moses. A staff thrown to the ground becomes the symbol of Egypt, a serpent. But when Moses takes hold of its tail, it becomes once more a staff. Moses' hand, he puts it in, he takes it out. It's leprous. He puts it back, he takes it back out. It's healed. He takes water, pours it out upon the ground, and the holy water of Egypt turns into blood. They see these things. They understand and they believe what? They believe that the great I Am will defeat the Egyptians, heal the Israelites, and conquer the gods of Egypt. They see, they understand, they believe that the great I Am is a compassionate, a faithful Lord. And before Him they bow their heads and worship. Now we come to this table. Here is God's firstborn Son, horribly tortured and killed for you and me. Here, here is your bloody bridegroom. His body broken, his his blood shed by by which you are saved and and purchased to be his bride and empowered, enabled, and equipped to do those good deeds which become for you the pure white linen in which you are dressed as a bride. And here is your compassionate and faithful Lord, Emmanuel, God with us, who sees and understands our situations, our circumstances, who defeats His and our enemies, who transplants within us new hearts, who conquers once and for all time the power of sin, death, and the grave, and who empowers you to both will and do what is pleasing to Him. So as His bride, you might be dressed in pure white linen. So what are we to do? We are to now bow our heads and worship 
the great I am, the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, God with a capital G, the one who doesn't simply tweak our lives, who doesn't just simply keep us out of hell, though praise God he does. He is the one, the sovereign king who rules over all, who now says to us, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. Go. Go. And as you go about the living of your life, I empower you. I enable you. I equip you. I motivate you to live the best of all possible lives before others, to live righteously before a watching world, dressed in the pure white linen, for you are His bride. Let's pray. Father, prepare us now for this table. May we worship you, adore you, our heads bowed. Father, may we receive these tokens of the horrible death of your firstborn son, the the blood and broken body of our bloody bridegroom. May we know that you are with us the compassionate and faithful God. And by Your grace and for the sake of Your glory and for the temporal and eternal good of others, may our garments be pure white linen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare-